Welcome to BFR Radio, a podcast dedicated to all things BFR. This podcast is proudly sponsored by sportsrehab.com.au, where if you want to buy your own BFR cuffs or you want more information about the type of training or you just want more information, this is your one place to go. And I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. Happy New Year, everyone, and welcome back to BFR Radio. I'm your host, Chris Gavilio. And as creator of the Sports Rehab Tourniquet, I'm really excited about how I've been able to continually improve the product for you all. 2018 saw the introduction of the upper body cuff, which was a bit thinner. 2019 now sees a new EVA protective case to stick your cuffs into. And I'm about to also have a slight upgrade on the upper body cuff. Also, 2018 saw the creation of BFR Radio, where I wanted to bring a podcast highlighting really good academic research and also to understand how other people out there are using BFR in their own environments. I really think there's some great coaches and athletes out there applying it and also using it in slightly different modified ways that I think will truly open up our eyes to what the benefits of blood flow restriction can do for us all. As with the usual flow of the podcast, I would traditionally look at an article, read it, and then get someone to come in and discuss how they're doing BFR. However, today, I thought I'd start the first section with something slightly different. I regularly get emails from users out there asking some fundamentals of how to use BFR in their own environment. And I thought I'd just highlight a few of those questions and some of my own answers that would be of benefit to all of you out there. The first question is around the rep protocol. I've been using the standard 75 rep protocol. What do you use? For those people who are unfamiliar with the 75 rep protocol, it's where you do four sets, where the first set is 30 reps or to fatigue, followed by another three sets of 15. This is probably the most prolific rep and set scheme out there at the moment in that rehab type setting. However, I must also note that other rep schemes such as three or four sets of 15 has also shown to provide successful outcomes with BFR. The underlying thing here to remember that we're trying to increase metabolic stress and hence this is why I feel that the 75 rep protocol is so popular. Also we must remember that this rep protocol originates from academia where they typically do one or only two exercises in a study and so therefore a high repetition scheme is necessary to ensure that maximum metabolic stress is achieved. However, in our own daily applied training environment, we typically set probably at least four or even more exercises per regime in a rehab protocol that could incorporate BFR. Therefore, over a greater number of exercises, you'd have plenty of opportunity to achieve the necessary metabolic stress required for the appropriate stimulus for the changes in the musculature. I think it's also important to take into consideration the different populations. In literature, they traditionally use recreational populations versus the applied setting where you would have athletes or clients that are elite or have been training for a few years. In a more elite training environment, 20% of 1RM could still actually be quite a high load and therefore I think the 30 reps in that first set may actually be a little bit too much. And also from a more practical standpoint, I'm actually not sure if the elite athletes would enjoy this if they're doing a high frequency rehab setting and perhaps also it could be a little bit boring. So what do I do? I still keep the reps high, 12 to 15 reps, and don't worry about that first 30 reps in a set. I still do four to five sets. However, I'm typically prescribing at least four exercises in that rehab or strength training session that incorporates BFR. 
I think also by sticking to a more normal rep range of 12 to 15 reps, it'll also enable me to do high frequency BFR if I think it's needed. The next question is around the difference between continuous and intermittent pressure. If we look towards literature, both types of pressure have been shown to be successful in BFR. Once again, I think it's important to remember that with blood flow restriction, we're trying to increase or maximize the metabolic stress response, which, as we know, is similar to the response to that of high load lifting. In other words, high mechanical stress. So, when the mechanical stress is low, such as in low loads in rehab, then I tend to employ a continuous BFR pressure, as we need a lot more metabolic stress due to the low mechanical stress. Also, I keep it continuous as I don't use that first 30 rep set to fatigue. Conversely, when the load gets higher, such as when we move out of rehab into a more performance type lifting setting, then I tend to use a more intermittent pressure. In this high load lifting situation, we just don't need as much metabolic stress as the mechanical stress is now higher. Putting this together in a real practical type setting, irrespective of whether an athlete or a client is in a rehab or a performance type lifting situation, this is the actual process of what I would do. So firstly, the initial session, I determine the pressure and I do a few basic exercises where they would walk with it on and do some single leg squats just to firstly see what it feels like and then also to compare the occluded versus a non-occluded leg. And during this time, I'd ask lots of probing questions to try and get following answers such as, what's the feeling of muscle activation like? Is there any decreases in joint or tendon pain? How do the muscles or the area feel? Does it feel warm? And typically, they don't respond with those type of answers and other answers such as, yeah, the joint feels a little bit more supported. Once I've had that first initial consult, my first session, I would typically target one or two exercises. I'd actually decrease the pressure by 20 mils of mercury lower than the prescribed pressure that I calculated earlier and I'd also use an intermittent pressure protocol. This is where I release after each set. This reason's twofold. Firstly, I want to establish the response of the BFR on the athlete, both acutely and over the next two days. I want to know how do they pull up, is the pressure okay and so forth. And secondly, I really want to ensure buy-in with the athlete. So conversely, if I employ a continuous pressure methodology and they have a negative experience, they may actually attribute solely to the BFR. And because I know it's a valuable addition to their training, I really want to ensure that their first few experiences are positive. And also, when you look towards literature, pressures as low as 75 mils of mercury have been shown to be really successful. So I know that using a slightly lower pressure is actually still going to be better than using no BFR at all. Then, still in the first week for the rest of the training sessions, I'd still keep a slightly lowered pressure and continue with an intermittent pressure methodology for the rest of the week. If the first session is a positive response, then I possibly may look towards increasing the total number of exercises up to about four or more. As we move towards the second week, I find that most people who use BFR who have got a good training age can actually handle the blood flow restriction with no issues. And at this point here, I'd actually get them up to the predetermined pressure and utilize a continuous pressure methodology throughout the training session. I've actually only had one athlete who didn't like their prescribed pressure, so I actually kept it low. And as I mentioned earlier, research has shown low pressures to be effective. In this second week, using a continuous pressure methodology, I try to keep it inflated for all the exercise sets. Typically, the rest periods are quite low, such as 60 seconds, so I actually think the total training time should be fine. However, if the athlete struggles, you can actually build their tolerance over each session and week. 
So for example, what you could do is inflate the cuff, complete set one, rest, set two, then deflate the cuff, have your rest period, reinflate, complete set three and four, and then deflate the cuff. And then what you'll find over each session, they'll build a tolerance to this type of training. And typically it's recommended to keep it inflated continuously for periods of up to no longer than 20 minutes. And I'd actually say that within a good strength and conditioning program that this would naturally occur anyway. The last question is around how do I determine the pressure used and how individualized is it? The method I use is based upon an equation from a really well-known researcher called Jeremy Lenecki. What he did is actually created an equation using limb circumference and blood pressures to actually create a theoretical arterial occlusion. And remembering that what we're trying to do is we're trying to partially occlude blood flow. Or in other words, we're trying to use a percentage of our arterial occlusion. And when we're looking at being able to determine arterial occlusion or a percentage of arterial occlusion, the major factor that we need to consider here is limb circumference. So if we have a limb that is bigger, we would need a higher occlusion pressure versus someone who has a smaller limb where we'd need less pressure to create occlusion, irrespective of what percentage occlusion we're trying to achieve. I find this method quite practical and gives a level of high objectivity to prescribing BFR pressures. As a side note, I actually put this methodology forward as a study and put it through ethics to ensure that the methodology is safe and has a high level of ethics behind it. With respect to the lower body, I set it at 50% of arterial occlusion calculated from the equation. Whereas in the upper body, because my upper body cuffs are thinner than the lower body cuffs, so my upper body cuffs are six centimeters versus a wider 10 centimeter lower body cuff, I actually find that 80% of arterial occlusion according to the equation that I use is best. And this really fits well with literature because they actually haven't given a definitive pressure as to what is most optimum. They've stated that a range of 50 to 80% of arterial occlusion they feel works best. Now, I try to go with the minimum threshold as I think there's a higher level of safety with it. So once again, with my cuffs that I currently have, because they're wider, I set the lower body pressures at 50% of arterial occlusion and the upper body cuffs, which are thinner, which obviously allows a greater range of movement, I find that 80% of arterial occlusion works best. And I've actually got this formula in an easy to use Excel spreadsheet that's downloadable from my website. And now there's other methods out there which are a lot more elaborate, such as using a Doppler system where you can calculate the actual occlusion pressure and then you can use a percentage from that. However, as I said earlier, my methodology has passed ethics. It comes from a quite a well-renowned sports scientist who's done so much work in this area. So I'm really confident that my methodology is very objective and is individual to the athlete or the client. My answers to these questions come from research, but also come from over 10 years of using BFR. I think it's very practical, yet objective, and I can actually back it up with not only my own personal experience, but with lots of research that is currently out there. And because this is quite practical, I think that that's something that we can all apply in our own practice. If you've got any questions of your own, I really urge you to get a hold of me either through my website or through my socials, and I could put it together another segment similar to this to answer those questions that you might have and how you can apply it in your own setting. I think this is actually a really nice segue into the second segment of BFR Radio in How You Do BFR. 
Welcome back to How You Do BFR. And today I've got Ed Lee from Harlequins Rugby Union, the rehab strength and conditioning coach. Welcome aboard, Ed. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. And so I spoke to Ed a few months ago. He was interested in BFR and it's been a really great conversation or journey for Ed, I feel, who approached me. We spoke a lot about BFR. He works in professional rugby union. It's quite a big club in Europe and really want to just talk about his journey about BFR and his thoughts about how he uses it has changed a little bit and some of the great work that he's currently doing. So really just straight over to you, Ed. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, I'm a strength rehab coach at Harlequins. Been there now for for six years. Did an internship with Harlequins 10 years ago and then went off and did other roles in New Zealand, worked with mixed martial arts guys, worked in rugby league here in the UK. Um, so yeah, I've been doing this now for this is my sixth season, I think. Could be fifth, sixth, something like that. So yeah, but, so ba- but basically started using blood flow very, very on and off maybe two years ago. That was when I kind of first came across it. I'd heard bits and bobs about it, but... Came across that and it was just that, what I would call the classic use of a load compromised athlete, using it when you're injured, daily using the three times 10 to 15 rep method. And then that kind of, that, that drifts off as soon as you can start loading the joints, loading the athlete. And I, and I was like, okay, that's fine. That's, I could see where that might fit into a process, but it never really hooked me because it wasn't something that you were going to use long term. And it was the athletes didn't really get a massive buy-in. And also, to be honest, the cuffs that we had here weren't amazing. So actually, they were cumbersome. They were big and thick. You couldn't, like, you couldn't take off the actual the pump. So it was, it was a, a massive amount of hassle. And then actually, I started hearing you talk and I started listening and watching you on Instagram and seeing how you would do things. And that kind of got me hooked. Um, so then after speaking to you, my views just massively changed in terms of how I use it. And I probably used it for three main reasons. The first one was, yes, to keep it as a load comp- for a load compromised athlete, to keep it or a player, to keep it there fairly early on when they can start loading their injured site. And that's fine. And, that might, and I can see the benefits of that. And I could see the benefits of that two or three years ago. That was fine. The second one was early on having two focuses for the injured guys. So looking at sleep straight away and then also using the blood flow as a way to increase the growth hormone. And as I said to you earlier, I was umming and ahhing about using it because I'd read some studies that were saying, yes, there is a decent increase in growth hormone with it, more than you would normally get from other training. And then actually other, some other studies, I couldn't find a significant increase, but it wasn't something that was hard for the players to buy into early on. Because let's say, for example, it was an ACL injury and I wanted just to get an increase in growth hormone early on and just help with general recovery, I would just use it on their arms. And that you're never going to struggle to get buy-in for guys to do arms during training. So actually using that early on, for them, they just saw it as a way to get a good pump on. For me, I thought this is going to help the overall recovery process quite early on in the injury stage. That was quite helpful for me. And then actually the third and probably most important use for blood flow that I've had is with some older athletes post the game who aren't injured, who are playing week in, week out, who actually struggle on a Monday or Tuesday if the game's on a Saturday to lift with any meaningful load. I've said this to you before that I I feel you kind of look at training in two ways. You're either going to adapt and push forward or you're going to maintain. And I'm definitely not one of those people that feel you have to push every single session because that's, in my view, that's slightly naive that you've got a 40-week season. You've got, what, three weight sessions a week. You're not going to be increasing weights every single session. So especially two days after a game, three days after a game, 
the older athletes, 30 years and above, they're going to come in this, this stiff and sore. And I, and I decided, post-chatting to you, decided to trial it with one of our older athletes who's 34 years old, played international rugby, and he does come in fairly beat up. He has 40-plus collisions a game, so he's, he's involved in it a lot. So actually what I did was when he, when he came in, he'd do his main lifts because load is key, so he can load. It's not like we're just stuck with blood flow. And it's definitely not something I've pushed as the main, as a sole training method. Um, so you would do, let's say, a heavy push and pull. And then actually to maintain some size or even push forward with him slightly, because it's a new stimulus, so you're going to get different adaptation to that. Use blood flow in a, in a rest-pause method. And I went to rest-pause purely because when I sat down and thought about how I'm going to use it, I thought, what are my outcomes? And my outcomes for, for him, personally, were to main, maintain muscle mass and almost try and increase it slightly because... He's fairly light lock. He's not, not the heaviest lock, but he's in very good shape. He's very fit. He's very strong. Yeah, so I looked at that and I thought, right, how have I gone about trying to increase muscle mass in the past? And rest pause for me personally is positive repercussions for me personally. The rest pause, um, there's, there's been a decent amount of coaches that have used it in the past, but I actually heard it off a guy called Matt Wenning, who's a powerlifting coach in the US. And he's not, an, he's not a massive advocate of rest pause, but I heard him talk about it. This was decent while ago maybe five six years ago and it's using 50 to 60 percent of your load maybe even slightly heavier it's three smaller sets within one with short rests in between so you can look at it for example with the blood flow i use a lighter load then you go 15 reps five second pause 10 reps five second pause five reps then i go with a minute rest and i do that anywhere between three to five times and i started off early doors just using it on press-ups and a pull down Really simple. I just kept it as simple as possible. And within two or three sessions, he was hooked. That was, that was him ready to lift consistently like that. And it's, it was fantastic to see an older athlete on a Monday or a Tuesday after a Saturday game come in and be positive about lifting rather than come in and moan and groan about being achy and sore. And yeah, you're going to get that because they've played 80 minutes of professional rugby. So they're going to be sore. But using the rest-pause method for him post-game and blood flow was, had massive positive repercussions for me personally. It was good to see for me personally because I was, I was dubious of it early doors because yeah. it was new on the scene and so I was, it was positive to see that. I think also, you know, you spoke about almost the psychological side of it. It's easy to use and especially players who've been playing for a long, long time you know, 10 plus years, they've probably seen everything and they do need a new stimulus, something a little bit different. And the rest pause method is also quite a quick session. So if you can get them feeling good, you can get them in and out pretty quickly and you get them feel like they've actually done something of physical worth. That has a yeah. massive benefit both physically, but also psychologically. Yeah, definitely. For example, let's say it's on the Monday post game on Saturday, he'll have three or four meetings, some individual, some team, some unit meetings. He'll then have a walkthrough outside. He'll then have what we call a build session. So just a session where it's building from the weekend. And then he'll have to come in and do weights. Now, the last thing you need is for him to come in and have an hour session. And I know some people listening would be like, oh, how are you? anybody can give up an hour. And that's fine. Yeah, and you can. And the sessions are normally 45 to an hour. But for the older athletes, I think, they almost want to come in, do decent, meaningful work, and then get out there. And this has been a real help for me personally. And now not, not all of the strength coaches at Quinn's use it. Actually, I'm probably the only one that does use it at the moment consistently. And that's fine because they all go about things different ways. But for me personally, it's, it's had a decent kickback for me. Fantastic. And I do love how you've said that 
you know, there's no substitute for lifting load. And I think that's really important that I think I said to this when I first spoke to you and I say, I advocate this that in terms of for high end athletic performance, you still have to lift load. Yeah. However, the context of this story is, is that this player lifts high load still, but you're yeah. able to supplement that with work that enables him to be more functional and yeah. feel good. I mean, he, he'll still, he'll still come in and he'll still be seat pressing above 45s to 50 kgs. He'll still be pulling down. He'll still be chinning his body weight for eight to 12 reps. So he's still lifting some decent amount of load. It's not like I've completely stripped back all the load. That would be silly. That'd be stupid. That's, yeah. that's not what I was using this for. I was using it for towards the end of the session to, for him to walk out of the gym and feel like he's done something and also to have done something. It's, it's not like we've stripped back and he's walking out doing less and feeling good because he could walk in and out of the gym and do nothing and he'll feel better for it, yeah. but he won't be better for it. As I said to you earlier in the conversation, he comes in asking about doing it. So that's brilliant for me. Another athlete you spoke about had issue with a tricep. Did you want to just explain that? That's a quite an interesting story. Yeah. So we had um, a guy with nerve damage down his left side or down his left tricep. He really struggled to get any load through. He was consistently playing week in, week out. So we, we got him up to, to pressing 50s. He's a, he's a center, pressing 50s, single arm pressing, which is decent for a guy that weighs 94 kilos, decent load. And then he took a couple of bangs and it would drop right down to 14 kgs on the Monday. And then slowly it would build back up. So over a Friday, once it got, got to Friday, it would then get somewhere around a functional level of say like 32 kgs. And then it would just keep dropping down, up and down, up and down. And over time it got worse, started to atrophy a little bit. And then that's when I thought, right, this is going to be a great time to maybe introduce some blood flow work. I just used some isolation exercises of the tricep towards the end of the session because he could still he could still lift, he could still be functional, and he definitely was able to still play rugby. It was more actually when you isolated the muscle, it was just massively weak. So we, I, I changed up in terms of what exercise I did. So whether it be a push down, whether it be an overhead cable, tricep extension, we did that three times a week and it just helped him maintain some muscle mass because obviously we know that nerve damage really affect the atrophy of the muscle so we started to use that in terms of keeping up the, the muscle mass for him and i think actually personally it's going to have to be something this the nerve damage is going to be something that's going to need to be addressed further down the line medically but at the moment it's allowing him to play consistently and i'm not saying that blood flow is a sole reason for it but it's definitely helped him maintain some form of lifting. Yeah, just it enabled him to continue lifting consistently. Whereas before, with the loads that he wanted to be lifting, he couldn't actually get a decent amount in. So we just dropped the load slightly, occluded the left side, and it allowed him to get some work in. With injuries, you can't feel the muscle really innovating. He's yeah. a great example. He can't feel the quad pump. I would imagine that now with the BFR, he's able to feel the tricep working and feel yeah. that activation. Yeah, he, he said actually the other day, we were doing the rest pause method, but with no actual set reps. So we just got the mini band occluded. He was a, he's a 130 milligrams of mercury. And I just said, right, we're just going to pump out on the mini band, rest 10 seconds and do that three times, rest a bit and do three sets of that. And he said that was the first time in ages he's felt a pump in his tricep. So for me, brilliant, because actually that he's been coming in quite mopey, thinking oh, I'm, gonna, I'm not doing as well. I'm, no, quite rightly, if you're, if you're used to pressing 50s and you come in and you can only press 14s, psychologically that's going to really set you back, especially if you know you're, you're going to be put out 
on a professional rugby field that weekend. You don't want to go out there feeling weak. So actually, if you can get a good pump on, and it does sound quite bro-y, but for them, I think that's quite important to actually feel like they've got consistent working. So yeah, so with, with him, that blood flow has been key. And it's actually helped him because we're not trying to throw load at him all the time. It's helped that he can come in, focus on heavy lifts for three or four sets and then use blood flow. And it's actually pushed up his heavy lifts and we're getting it's small increments and it is a definitely a week by week thing. It's not something the next week it's shot back up to 50s, but it's allowed him to actually have both ends of the spectrum where we've had some heavy lifts, but not a stupid amount of sets and then lighter load to maintain that muscle mass. And he knows what he's doing when he comes in. So he's focused rather than getting mopey and getting down about we've got four exercises, all that he's going to have to lift heavy and three of them he's really struggling on. It's, my views are actually changing week in, week out. I'm fairly new to this. And I'm, I'm definitely one of those guys that personally I give it a go myself before I throw it on any of the players. And my director of performance finds that quite funny that he'll come in and I'll just be trying something different all the time. I mean, as soon as I started using it, I felt a lot better in terms of joint health, in terms of actually how you feel when you leave the gym. So I thought this is, this is definitely something, if I'm, I'm a 31-year-old non-professional athlete that doesn't struggle to lift, let's see what it's like with older athletes or just any of the players really that do struggle to lift. Let's see what this is like because I could see the benefits would be huge. And it's actually, it's been really positive for me. You know, it's, been, it's put me on a, a decent journey that I will definitely continue and hopefully a year down the line I'll have some set protocols or actually, actually maybe I probably won't actually. I'll probably be changing consistently but i think it's a decent tool in the toolbox that can be pulled in and out yeah and i think you hit, hit the nail on the head there it it's a good to, it's a very good tool to use and when used at the correct time it just really assists all your other work that you're really doing you know it's yeah. assisting your heavy pressing or your heavy squatting to ensure yeah. that when you need to go press heavy or squat heavy that you're able to do that you've got all the supporting musculature you know you got the the joints feeling good and you're able to do that that's two really good examples and i've always thought i guess i've worked in union afl i've always thought that this would be something that you could really use midweek you have your one important lift of the week 70 plus rm is important you know heavy load lifting is important however how can you continue to lift heavy but you know take that five or ten kilos off that top end lifting yes. so that it's just as you know especially in rugby union you've got so much especially the forward so much axial load going through their spine when they're packing in the scrums the last thing you want to be doing is super maximally loading that spine again when you could be just offloading it that little tiny bit yeah and I, and I guess as well, each coach, when whether it's a positional coach, whether it's a an, another strength coach, speed coach, whatever it is, they all want their bit of the cake. So when Joe Bloggs goes to the skills coach for an hour, he's going to push him and push him and push him for an hour. When he goes to the, the defensive coach, you're going to do defensive work for an hour consistently. And then when he comes to us, if I can just, although you seem to be pulling back, you aren't necessarily pulling back because you're still pushing forward. But with a player, when you explain it to him, you say, look, we're going to start including you. These are the reasons. I think you can only really have a positive effect on them because you're talking to them and you're almost, you're empathizing with them. You say, look, I'm, I know that you had 50 contacts this weekend and I know you ran 7K in the game and you had this many high-speed meters. You must be absolutely knackered. Your shoulders must be shot. We're going to start doing this for a six-week period. And then I think that's when you get them on your side. Not that it's a game. That sounds like I'm trying to play a game with them, but you do understand what I mean, where it's, mm. it's you're seeming to be pulling back and understanding and empathizing with them. 
I think what it really shows here that you truly understand your role as a strength and conditioning coach, that we play a supporting role for them to be rugby union players. And there's so many examples out there with athletes I've worked and you could probably say the same thing that, you know, they're not the fittest, fastest, nor strongest, but they're exceptional football players. Yeah. And sometimes when you look at what they have done previously, you go, well, there's no magic to their program. However, they just understand the game. And as a strength coach, we just need to understand how, how we fit in the pitch. I think that's just being a very good strength and conditioning coach, yeah. understanding your role and playing your role. Yeah. I mean, 90% of our guys haven't got to this level because they're amazing in the gym. They've got there because they're very good rugby players. And actually, out of that, say 90%, you've probably got 50% of them are actually very poor in the gym. So that they would be better than the average Joe, but they are definitely not gym monkeys by any stretch of the imagination. But I mean, especially in the UK, I find this going off on a slight tangent, I find that you've got the premiership guys that, yeah, don't get me wrong, you put them next to an average guy, they're a lot bigger and stronger, but actually you drop down to the championship and Div 1 level because they're not as skillful. They've had to rely on being physically progressive. When we have teams from the championship come along, they might actually be player for player a lot bigger but our guys just understand the game. They read the game. They're a lot fitter and in terms of running fitness and they're a lot quicker. So actually their strength isn't anywhere near sometimes the championship level guys and they're maybe not as big, but they're just gifted at playing rugby, which at the end of the day, if you can do all the protocols you want, I could talk about rest pause for hours and then if they're not able to go out on the field on a Saturday, then what's the point? Totally agree. For me, that's, as I said, it's two really great examples there. And it's been great to see that you've grown your knowledge in the world of BFR from just, oh, it's used as a rehab tool to how can you actually implement it for athletic performance. And you've done that really well. So it'd be really cool, perhaps in another six months to, to touch base and just to chat about to see how it's progressed and if you're, how you're using it in other ways. That'd be really great. Yeah, definitely. I'd be keen on that. I mean, it's our last chat helped me think about things in very different ways and I'm just thought, well, I'm not going to shout too much about this. I'm going to go away, give it a go for two, three months and then report back. And at the moment, I'm having really good feedback from players. And personally, when I use it, I find it's helpful. So hopefully six months to eight months down the line, it will only have progressed further. And I've probably got more of a solid base and a solid understanding of it. Yeah. Perfect. And I do know you're on Instagram. So what are your socials and how can people get a hold of you? On Instagram, I'm edlee87. So Lee is L-E-A. And that's, I actually, I wasn't really big on Instagram until maybe a year ago when I started following a couple of people and I was, I was always quite hesitant about putting videos out there. And then I thought, actually, I like looking at the other strength coaches around and seeing what they're doing. So I just started posting more on that. So Instagram's definitely, it's, it's probably more of a work Instagram. So I will definitely post out the majority of videos there. Twitter, I'm on it, but I don't use it at all. Um, so I would just stick with probably the Instagram. So that's edley 87 and you're back into work this morning and getting ready for a game this coming week in the English Premiership. How are you guys yeah. feeling at the moment? Uh, we're, we're fifth in the league at the moment. We, um, we're doing okay. We're, as opposed to last year where we, didn't, we underachieved massively. We've got a new, uh, new head coach, Paul Gustard from England. He's come in massively, throwing some, some energy in, which has been fantastic. Um, so hopefully we can come away with a win and push forward. We're aiming for, always aiming to win the league and then see where that goes, really. Fantastic. Well, thanks for your time, Ed. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much for having me on. And that's all today for this episode of BFR Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to take part in the podcast, please contact me through my website or on social media channels 
at Chris Cavillio. For more information and to order a set of your own BFR cuffs, please visit my website at sportsrehab.com.au. Thanks for listening and keep the pump.